today we jump into a new series. So let me ask you this question. How are your plans for the summer going? Busy already? That's Kiva. How old are you, Kiva? You're 12 and you're already busy for the summer? Yeah? Okay. Is this <laughs> packed? It's crazy, eh? So who has plans for the summer already? My daughter asked me to throw this out because I think we can kind of like, whoa, right on, right on somebody's head. That was good. That was good. That was good. That died. That died right away. Where'd it go? We'll do one more. As you think about the question, uh, what, what you're planning to do this summer. Watch Marlene right behind you. There you go. There you go. Okay, cool. I don't know what I started. Maybe this was wrong. This was not a good idea. It's hilarious. Okay, we got one down, two. Okay, keep them. Hold them. Hold them. Hold them. Hold them. Very nice. Very nice. It's funny, about three weeks ago, all of us were complaining how cold it was. Remember the week it was cold and it was like almost minus two overnight. And then like this week I caught myself saying like, wow, it's already June. And it seems like the moment you change your tires, uh, somebody's doing gardening and then you're like, wow, how did we get to June 2016 already? And it's already here. So today, here's what we want to do. We want to start a brand new series called Summer Vocation. Now it's more than just about summer. But we're calling it this summer vocation. And there's this play on words. The difference between vocation, right? Vocation with an O versus vacation with an A. All of us plan vacations or think about vacations or dream about vacations. But often many of us forget, neglect, ignore, or maybe it's completely out of our minds to even consider what the word vocation means. Too often we plan our summer vacation without any sense of what we want to start today and talk about for the next month, which is this idea of vocation. And that can often happen with a season like summer where there's so much excitement and anxiety or like planning, like Kiva said, maybe she's not anxious, she's, she's excited because um, any 12-year-old will want to pack their summer with stuff. But like all this excitement around it, and then sometimes we, have, we fail to approach it with purpose. So I want us to consider what it means to approach our summer with this sense of vocation. So here's this first word is, is a word we're very familiar with, is the word vacation. But the word vacation actually comes from the word vacate. It means to get out, to escape, to, to leave, um, to kind of dismiss something and, uh, and, and get it out of the way or get out of that location. The word vocation is so different just by replacing one letter the word vocation comes from the word vocate. And vocate, actually, the, uh, the original word in Latin is vocare, which means to name something, to call something out. Last summer, our family didn't vocate as well as we wanted to. We tried to vacate a little bit in terms of vacation. We didn't vocate as much. And we failed a little bit at this last summer. We, we didn't name anything we didn't call anything out of that season. And it seemed like we spent every evening either at a, locker, a local soccer field or a local pool. Like five or six days of the week. And not that that's bad. If you like that, that's cool. But if that's not what you envisioned or what you desired to get out of what summer's like, then you feel like, did I really, like, did I really approach summer the way I was, it was meant to be or what I'm meant to do with this next few months? And this word vocate or vocare is really what brings out this word vocation. And vocation means this. It's an interesting definition. To summon or to have a strong inclination to a particular state or course of action. 
There is purpose behind vocation. To, to summon a particular state or course of action or to give purpose to something. In fact, the idea of vocation is often found in, in, in a religious calling. You know, like, like if someone feels like they have a religious calling, often they call it a vocation. But it's not just limited to a religious calling. It's not limited to something, what, some, what we might want to label spiritual, but it's giving something a special function. And today I want to kick this off and read the kind of vocation that I believe Jesus would call us to over the next couple of months, but relating it to all of our lives. I think summer is a great opportunity to really consider this. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 22. Chapter 22, verse, verse 34. Matthew 22, verse 34. Matthew 22, verse 34. By the way, we just um, received uh, a small shipment of, of Bibles, like gift Bibles. So if you've come today and you don't have a Bible, you don't own a Bible, we'd love to give you a Bible. So you can find one at the Connections. So in a sense, we're saying, if you're new, you can steal our Bibles. All right? So, or if you don't have a Bible, you can steal our Bibles, even if you're not new. But if you have four stashed away at home, anyways, it's okay. (laughs) Just joking. They're gifts. Here we go. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Father, as we reflect on this, uh, what Jesus called the greatest commandment, and one like it, we just invite um, you to speak to us, to lead us, guide us, to intersect our hearts and lives, uh, to open us up to um, what you have in store for us today and ongoing. We want to receive that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I love this passage. Um, it's such a, a clear passage. It's, it's a succinct passage, but it challenges me. I don't know if it challenges you because when the words greatest come in or Jesus uses the word greatest commandment responding to the teacher who, who, or the, 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 the teacher of the law who asks Jesus what is the greatest commandment, just that word greatest kind of like stops me in my tracks. This is the greatest of commandments. In other words, like asking the question, this person's asking Jesus, what's the best way to live, Jesus? See, for a Jewish mind, a commandment was, was give, me, give me a way to live. Give me, um, give me a path to walk. Help me understand what it means to live my life the way that you would desire it. So a, a Jewish person might say in the first century, you know, what does it mean to be righteous? Joseph, the husband of, of uh, Jesus' mother Mary, was called a righteous man. In Jewish or in Hebrew, that would be a tzaddik. He was one who followed the Torah, who lived out God's commands. So when someone's asking the question, what is the greatest commandment? They're asking the question, what, how should I live my life? How should I pursue life? What's the best course for my life? And what should I model my life after? In other words, 
if we take this question as sincere, and maybe, there's, maybe it's not as sincere as we think about who's asking it, but if we take it as sincere, we can really ask the question saying, Jesus, do you have a suggestion for my vocation? Do you have a suggestion for a vocation for my life? Would you, would you give me guidance in, in, in what I need to call out of my life or into my life as a vocation? And then it's pretty simple. It's like this simple phrase that you can even put it on your fridge. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. It's not long. It's not a book. It's not an essay. It's... A, it's a handful of words, two sentences. Love God with all yourself. Love people like you love yourself. And th- this challenges me. And what, other, what else challenges me is Jesus says, all the, the law and the prophets hang on these words. They, they hinge on these words. In other words, it's as if Jesus is saying everything that God has said to humanity through his word hinges on these two things. That God's law, that God's continual prodding through the Old Testament prophets about justice and righteousness and honesty and life hinges on these two words. That what God revealed uh, to Israel through the law and then revealed in fullness through Jesus all hangs on these words. And Jesus fulfills them in a beautiful way. He shows us how to love God. He shows us how to love people. He goes to the cross to fulfill this in the fullest way. And then we, through his grace and his power, are able to live in such a way to find this vocation. So Jesus is saying, let this be your vocation, right? Vocare in Latin is to name something, to call something. In other words, name this as your purpose in life. Now I know we might have other vocations. God might lead us through our giftings, through the way he shaped us, through our experiences, to have vocation. Some of us, um, you know, if you're married, you might say, this is my vocation, I'm married. If I'm single, let me view my singleness as a vocation. There's ways we can use that word. But I think in an overall sense, we get from this greatest commandment, name this as your purpose in life. And when Luke writes this conversation, he tells us something that Jesus says that Matthew doesn't. In Luke chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus says these words, do this and you will live. That's so so powerful. Jesus says, do this. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do this and you will live. In other words, live like this and you'll truly live. Live like this and you'll come alive. Discover that this is, you know, the greatest umbrella vocation of your life. And you'll discover the kind of life that God envisions for you. Do this, Jesus says, and you'll live. Now, of course, this does not mean that doing this saves you or doing this gets you right with a relationship with God or doing this kind of substitutes what Jesus did on the cross. No, it's, but in fact, what Jesus did on the cross and what we embrace at the cross enables us to live this way. And then Jesus says, live this way, do this, and you will live. And there's three, kind of three loves that we see here. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor. And then I always find this challenges me too. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's something about also asking the Lord, how do I value who you've made me to be? And we're going to get that to that in a couple of weeks. 
In fact, as we walk through this series over the month of June, we want to we you know, discover what's our vocation when it comes to rest and renewal and relationships. What's God doing in me? How does he want me to grow and be nurtured and become the kind of person he longs me to be? But even more than becoming, how do I nurture that? So there's something about ourselves that's going to be important this month. There's something about God, obviously, that's going to be important this month, how we are renewed in our faith. But today I want to just focus on this middle one, love your neighbor, because I think often we can, we can tend to forget that. And as well, once we kind of see the outer circle of who God is calling us to, we can then say, okay, God, now what are you doing inside? Because we want, we want to see you do something from the inside out. That's what God always does, works from the inside out. Love your neighbor, Jesus says. This is not always easy in our culture because our culture is very individualistic, right? We're called to look out for ourselves. We're called to invest for ourselves. We're called to pursue our own security. We're called to make sure that we have dividing lines in our houses or apartments. We're, we're called to make sure that we sign contracts so then you know, no one steals from somebody else. There's, there's a sense of individualism in our culture. Of course, we see it like in pop culture and consumerism and advertisement. You know, this whole, like, this whole worship of self And so when Jesus says, love your neighbor, I think he really hits the grain of how humanity leans sometimes. Because he knows this, that if we only focus on ourselves, and imagine this, if we only focus on God, we also lose something. Jesus says, love your neighbor. There's something powerful about our whole life. He says, you will not fully live unless you love God and love your neighbor. So there's something about loving our neighbors that Jesus says is vitally important. In Luke's story, Luke's story is interesting because he, gets a, he, he tells us a question that Jesus gets that Matthew doesn't tell us. And the question from one of the people listening to Jesus is this question, who's your neighbor? That's what Luke tells us happens in this little scenario. Jesus is asked the question, who's your neighbor? It's a great question, but it's probably an avoidance question. Have you ever had that avoidance question? Like when you're in school and you ask your teacher, okay, what do I have to study? Because what you're asking your teacher is not just what you have to study, but you're saying, what can I ignore? Like what pages in my textbook don't I have to look at, right? And so when this person asks Jesus, who's my neighbor? The question is not just saying, who's my neighbor? The question is also, who's not my neighbor? Who, who don't I have to look at? Who can I avoid when I walk down the street? Who can I avoid on my street? Who can I avoid in my apartment block? Who can I avoid in my company? And so the question, who's your neighbor, is an avoidance question. Who can I leave out? And then Jesus responds with this story that many people are familiar with, even if they've not been part of the church or knowing much about Christianity. It's the famous story of the Good Samaritan where Samaritans walking down from Jerusalem down to Jericho and there's a few people that notice this person who's sick and hurt and beat up on the side of the road and a religious leader and another leader and and some important person passes by this person who's in need but it's the Samaritan who's often outcasted even by the Jews as they're walking down this road they notice this person who's who's sick, who's hurt, who's beat up who's who's been mugged and that person stops and helps. And when Jesus responds with that story, he disturbs the person who asked the question because the person is saying, who's my neighbor? Who, who can I leave out, Jesus? Come on, seriously, not everybody's my neighbor. And Jesus, notice, I guess he notices his motivation and he says, let me tell you a story. 
Let me disturb your concept of what it means to be a neighbor. And this person in the story is needy, unclean, even unknown, personally yet. In other words, I think Jesus is saying everybody can be your neighbor when you discover your vocation. Everybody can be your neighbor when you discover your vocation. It doesn't mean that we have the capacity or the resources to help everybody equally. If there was two people on either side of the road, that person could only help one at a time, right? But Jesus is disturbing his question because he's wanting to avoid what it means to be a neighbor, what it means to know who your neighbor is. And Jesus is really asking this bigger question when he tells the story. Because he says at the end of the story, who did right here? Who was a neighbor to this person? So the question he's pushing towards is, are you going to be a neighbor to the people that are in your life? So don't just ask who's your neighbor, but will you be a neighbor to somebody? In other words, who looks outward to find someone to be neighborly to? That, Jesus just flipped that. He was great at flipping things on people. And then Jesus obviously, I mean, he was great at this, right? He, on his way to Galilee, he stops off in Samaria, meets the woman at the well, a Samaritan woman who had, had committed adultery five times, talks with her, encourages her, invites her to discover what he's doing, spends time in her village for a day or two. We hear about Zacchaeus, this tax collector who ripped people off during his life. Zacchaeus invites Jesus into his house and Jesus goes in and hangs out with Zacchaeus. We read about when Matthew, one of Jesus' early disciples, is invited to follow him and then Matthew invites all his tax collecting friends who were were in that time kind of known as not so great people and Jesus is like, I'm going to come to that party. I'm going to hang out at that party. And he goes to Matthew's house when Matthew throws this party with his buddies from work. So Jesus like knows what it means to be a neighbor. And it leads us to this, what I want to launch today, this kind of summer long vocational pursuit to invite all of us towards and um, to really make it a little bit of a grassroots movement. And when you walked in today, you saw one of these cards on your, on your table, on, on your table, on your chair. And um, it made us think, you know, the last couple of years we've been this, you know, kind of exploring this idea. What does summer look like? How long is summer? What do we do with summer? And it's so easy to kind of pursue the escape route for summer and never get much out of it. And I don't just mean for people. I even mean, what is God doing in me over the next couple of months? Because the next few weeks, we will talk about some important things for you and me. But for, for, when we think about this summer, when we think about this passage, imagine if the next hundred days, we all took this seriously. And we said, what would it look like to love our neighbors? To love our neighbors. The second half of Jesus' greatest commandment. To, to really be people who don't ask the avoidance question, like, Jesus, who's my neighbor? Because if it's Frank on my right, I don't even want to hear about it. You know? And if it's like Ingrid, I don't know why I'm calling these names, in the back of me, like, please... You know, and if it's Joey up in apartment number 423, Lord, please don't tell me he's my neighbor. (laughs) So, you know, like we can ask that avoidance question. Jesus pushes us to not do that. And to ask this question instead, who is my neighbor? What kind of neighbor will I be? 
And so as we think about this, I want to challenge us to, to take the next 100 days with a really, really simple challenge. And summer officially, I mean, it's June 21st, but we know that it's going to get on us really quick. So we want to launch this today. Imagine the next 100 days, we just had this simple part of our vocation. There's going to be more the next couple of weeks, but part of our vocation this summer. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. We heard some stories about that uh, last year. Some people explored what it meant to connect with their neighbors and bless their neighbors. Well, what does that look like? Well, you know, I don't have the card on me, so if someone, if, I'll just take it right here off the table. I keep say, calling them tables. It's like we're sitting on chairs. Um, as we think about the card, like we just, we wrote this on the front of it because we wrote this first thing, know your neighbor. That's a little bit of a prerequisite, right? Like you can't love the neighbor you don't know. It's kind of hard. We can love them metaphorically. We can love them theoretically. We can love them at the dinner conversation, but you can't really love a neighbor you don't know. We can't love the neighbors we don't know. And so one of the prerequisites is, do we know the people around us? When we flip the question in Luke's gospel, you know, who is your neighbor? Who's my neighbor, Jesus? I want to ask that question instead of as an avoidance question. Let's ask that question from Luke 10 as a real awareness question. Who's my neighbor? And then when we ask that question, we have to ask ourselves, do we know our neighbors? Do I know my neighbor? Do I know the person who works beside me? Do I know the person who works uh, in, in my department? Do I know... Frank that lives beside me, even though sometimes he bugs me. Do I know him? Do I even know their name? Maybe there's people around you, you don't even know who they are. And so I want to flip this question that's asked to Jesus, where we ask the question, but with sincerity, saying, who is my neighbor? You know, the man who helped the good Samaritan, right? The man who was the, the Samaritan who helped, the man who was hurt. I mean, he was doing what he did probably once a week or or maybe it was a journey he took every couple of months. It was a road that he's probably been on before. And so it's that road, just a common road from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he was walking down it that day. He was doing something he, that was normal to him, that was ordinary to him. But he saw this man who was hurting and sick. And he stopped. And so there's something about that that lets us know that this was a common road. This was a common person that would have been in the Good Samaritan's orbit. And... Jesus says that that Samaritan realized he was called to be a neighbor to him in that moment. He didn't have to go out of his way. He didn't have to like change boulevards. He didn't have to change jobs or change cities or go on a mission trip. It was on his way during his day, common road, common path, common people. And so it was right in front of him. He was right in front of him. And there's a simple reality. We can't love the neighbors we don't know unless we approach them and say, hey, what's your name? In that day, it was, can I help you? But it's not always about help. Sometimes it's just about knowledge, awareness, relationship. So here's this first challenge. How do we get to know our neighbor? So as we flip the card uh, in the back, we ask that question, who's your neighbor? And we've showed this grid a couple of times here at Westside, but uh, for the first time we've printed it out. <laughs> and we're like, let's get it in everybody's hand. Let's get it on everybody's fridge and everybody's car and give a stack to them so they can invite some others to it. Thanks, Nick. That was good. Amen. So, so if you're in the middle there and 
again, just kind of theoretically, you have eight people that live around you in this grid of nine squares. When you're asking the question, who's your neighbor? What if this summer, one of the simplest things you did was, I'm going to get to know my neighbor over here. I'm going to get to know my neighbor over here. Maybe over the course of the summer, you might not get to know all of them. Maybe you already know some of them, but maybe your relationship's called to go deeper with this one and this one. And maybe you don't even know this person's name. But as for 100 days this summer, as we initially take this, one of these commands out of Jesus' teaching, this simple, simple, simple thing we can do. So often we're like, God, what's your will? Lord, what do you want me to do? Uh, do you want me to go to another country? Do you want me to like, change jobs? And then here's the simplest of commands. Love your neighbor. But you can't love your neighbor unless you know your neighbor. And so I hope this is a reminder this summer to look at this and say, oh yeah, I, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fill out this grid. I want to get to know some of these people. And the goal is, you know, obviously it's great to know all eight, but we never make goals gods at Westside. We don't want to make a goal of God. But you get the idea. Imagine all of us just got to know just a few of these people around this, around us this summer. I've been in a, with, t- chatting with a group of people down in the Boston area about discipleship and mission for the last two years, and there's been a variety of different pastors and leaders in this. And one guy, his name is Norm, and Norm is like close to 80 years old. I mean, he, he's healthy, and he's fully aware, and he's still pastoring, but you can tell he's elderly, okay? And, um, and so... Norm came into this season with a bunch of us at the same time around discipleship and mission. And one of the things Norm talked about at the beginning is he didn't know any of his neighbors. None of his neighbors. And over the course of our discussion and learning through the scriptures about discipleship and mission, one of the things we realized is, well, you can't do mission if you're not in proximity with anybody. And Norm, this close to 80-year-old person who didn't know anybody around him. After two years, it was so amazing to hear his story. And he said, I'm so grateful that I can say that I am now in conversation with six of my neighbors. This guy lived for how many years as a believer, not even knowing the names of some of the people around him. And just through the work of God's spirit and the encouragement of community, he was able to say, I now am am encouraged talking with blessing, getting to know six of the people around me. God is at work and he's now seeing it among, uh, just around him. There was a post in the last couple of weeks on um, someone I'm connected with on social media and he just posted this from an older person who's 93, year old, 93 years old and the person was asked, how old do you feel? And the guy probably asked that question often at 93, how old do you feel? And uh, his response was, I loved it. It was kind of cryptic and kind of, you know, um, I don't know how you want to describe it, but he's maybe satirical, but he said, I'm the peer of whomever I'm talking to. I'm the peer of whoever I'm talking to. I'm the friend of whoever I'm speaking with. And I love that because we're often asked that question, you know, not just about our age. How rich do you feel? How how important do you feel? How old or young do you feel? How fashionable do you feel? How, what, how successful do you feel? 
And I love this response because this response is, doesn't matter how much money I have in the bank, doesn't matter how old I am, how young I am, doesn't matter how healthy I am or how successful I am, here's what I feel when someone's standing right in front of me. I feel that I'm the peer of whoever I'm speaking to. I mean, if you want a way to be a blessing and influence the people in your life, Consider that. I'm the friend of whoever is in front of me. That's, that's powerful. Know your neighbor. The last bit of this is bless your neighbor. As we consider these hundred days and what it means to love our neighbor, here's the simple reality. We can't love the neighbors we don't bless. We can't love the neighbors we don't bless. Um, Dave Ferguson who's a pastor in Chicago, talks about this blessing strategy. And, and uh, he was inspired and convicted out of Genesis chapter 12, where Abraham was called and blessed by God. But then God told Abraham in Genesis 12, go and you are going to be a blessing to the nations. And there was this blessing, that, this call to be a blessing to people. Israel was called to be a light to the nations. Jesus says, go and be light and salt to the world. There's this sense of what it means to be a blessing. When we talk about the hope of the gospel in the New Testament, often the gospel writers and Paul and others would say, let the hope you have inside you overflow to those around you. So there's this sense of blessing. So here's the question. That does, you know, what would it mean if we want to love our neighbors? How can we love them if we don't bless them? Now, some of you might be saying, but like, honestly... We're a church. We talk about Jesus. Shouldn't we share Jesus with people and not just consider what it means to bless them? And I would say we need to do both. If the gospel is good for me, it has to be good for my street. If the gospel is good for me, it has to be good for my workplace and my coworkers. There was a study done. Um, it was actually called the Blesser versus Converter Study. And they, they, they tracked with two missionary teams in Thailand. And one missionary team went out with the strict um, uh, you know, strategy to convert people to know Jesus, which is not a bad thing. We want people to know Jesus. The other team went with the same desire for people to know Jesus, but they, didn't, they took the blessing strategy. And they said, we are going to bless the areas that we're in. And over the course of time, something incredible happened. Many went to say, We're gonna, we want to convert people. Others went, we're going to bless people. The blessers obviously resulted in a lot of social good. But what happened with the blessers is almost 50 times more people found their way to discover Jesus through the blessers than the converters. Almost 50 times more people actually came to the knowledge of Jesus Christ because the blessers said, we're going to take a posture of blessing and loving our neighbor. And in the process, see what, where the Lord's at work. And then obviously share as people ask us questions and we talk to them and we let them know who Jesus is. This guy, Dave Ferguson, kind of created this little acronym. And I like it. It's a, it's a real help for, for myself in my own life. And it's just this, this word, bless. And so imagine when we think about loving our neighbor, imagine if we, we, we thought about this throughout the summer, but you don't have to just apply it to the summer. It could be anything. Imagine we said... As we not only ask the question, who's our neighbor, but how can we bless our neighbors, talk about it this way. Why don't we begin with prayer and say, Lord, what are you doing in my neighborhood? Lord, what are you doing in so-and-so beside me? God, I haven't talked to Frank. I kind of hate him because he just always cuts the bushes the wrong way and 
he makes so much noise and then he, you know, broke my light bulb three weeks ago and Lord, Lord, what's, what's your heart for Frank? Tell me because my heart's dry right now for Frank, but Lord, what's your heart for Frank? And, and begin, begin with prayer. Just begin with prayer. The next thing is listen. Spend time listening to people, to people's story, to people's life. I've discovered some incredible things listening to some of my neighbors. Some things where I, ha- where I would stop and say to them, this doesn't always happen, but to say, do you realize God's been trying to get your attention with, with that particular thing? Because literally they mentioned you know, their mother who heard about Jesus through this and that. I'm like, why are you telling me that? And they're telling me, I'm, I'm realizing, wow, that's incredible. I'm, I would have never heard that if I didn't listen to them. But sometimes it's not that. Sometimes it's just hearing their story, hearing what they're going through, and listening to people as you're listening to God in prayer. The other piece of this is eat. We all eat. How many of you guys eat? We eat. I like to eat. Um, you know, Issa took me to a great restaurant in St. Charles. He apparently knows good food around the area, so he likes to eat. So now maybe we can eat well together. But all of us love to eat. We can eat with people. Or share coffee with people. Or share iced tea on our porch with people. What if we said as a blessing strategy, we would share a meal or a drink or a coffee with someone like a neighbor or a friend or a coworker? And then the next part is S. What, how do we serve? How do we serve one another? Sometimes it's just discovering a need in the area. Nathan and Stephanie out in Vaudreuil, uh, they just felt like, you know, some of their neighbors didn't know each other well and they were getting a sense of how we can get them together and backyards weren't going to work. So they actually used a local park and, and barbecued in somebody's backyard and then had like, this was crazy, 50, 60 people came together in a park in Vaudreuil two, three weeks ago because a few uh, people from our community group out there and others just said, how do we bless our neighbors? How do we serve them? But it doesn't have to be that big. It could be as simple as a coffee or, an, or a glass of iced tea. But then there's this idea of serving. How do we serve people? Serve someone. Knowing people. They let you know how you can love them. Which often leads to service. And then the last bit is share. Are we sharing the amazing news of Jesus. When God gives us opportunity. You know the two places in the scriptures. Where we're specifically called to speak to unbelievers. Outside of the great commission and things like that. Both times in Colossians and Peter, it's, it's a request from someone to let them know the faith and hope that we have. In other words, imagine we live this kind of life, praying, listening, eating, serving. So when Peter says, in First Peter, he says, always be ready for an answer when someone asks you about the hope you have. Then you're ready to share when that opportunity comes. That might come over the summer, it might not, but to be ready to share a soundbite or a piece or maybe the whole idea of God's gospel and to work that through. Let me just tell you one story. A guy named Tim Winton, he was five years old and his dad, who was a police officer, got into an accident. And his dad was not the same person anymore. He, Tim would describe it as he saw a figment of his, of his father sitting there in the living room, but it wasn't fully his dad because now his dad could not function, could not bathe himself, could not do anything. Tim was five years old. And one day a guy named Len Thompson rang the doorbell. He was a believer, part of a church, um, and, li- and was somewhere in the neighborhood. And, and he, um, 
he rang the doorbell. This was in Australia. And he says, hey, talks to his wife and says, I heard your husband's kind of crook. I guess that means crooked, can't move, strange, right? But he said, said it all sincerely. Hey, here, your, your husband's not well. Is there anything I can do to help? And um, over time, because there wasn't another uh, man in the house, and, it, and, and obviously this, you know, Tim's dad was a grown man, and it was hard for his wife or him. And so, so Len came over and got him up from his chair and brought him to his bed and once a week helped bathe him. And, and he just served this family in that moment of need. And Tim later describes later in his life when he was far away from the Lord, didn't know the Lord, but when, when the gospel was shared to him and when he was considering the relevancy of Christianity, who came to mind? And who came to Tim's mind? Len. Len said, this guy showed me what the gospel's about. This guy served my family. He came and loved us and cared for us and helped my dad. And, and all this blessing turned into a whole family of people coming to know Jesus. Because Len decided to walk over and say, how can I be of help to you guys today? How can I be of help to you this season? And so as we, we end today and consider the next few weeks, we're going we're gonna to talk about what it means to rest, because I know you're interested in that. How can I rest this summer? We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about how do I grow my relationships in a healthy way? How do I find renewal? So we're going to talk about the next, that in the next few weeks. We're going to go inner the next few weeks. But today we're going to close thinking outer. And to just ask this question, okay, who's my neighbor? How do I love my neighbor? I can't love the neighbor I don't know. And I can't love the neighbor I don't bless. I can't love the neighbor I don't know. And I can't love the neighbor I don't bless. And so could we, could, could we like start a mini grassroots movement this summer? Imagine if everybody in this room touched one or two people this summer. And even more, because I, I, I know this, I know there are people you know, because I know there's people I know, who might not even have an interest in Jesus, but have an interest in seeing their neighborhood be blessed. And so imagine you handed even one of these to your friends at work and said, hey, would you, like, what, do you know people on your street? Because <laughs> we're, you know, we're, I don't know, I've just been excited about this lately. And you hand one of these to a friend or a coworker or a family member, and you say, would you, would you join me in, like, this hundred days of summer of doing something just simple but so good for people? And, ha- and just give it to some of your friends? And now, maybe you don't want to give it to the friend you're serving, but you can too. You say, hi, I want to serve you, but here, this is, I, imagine what this would look like. So what would happen if, this would just, if we would just serve one or two people, if we would just get to know one or two people uh, on that grid around our block and know our neighbor and love our neighbor, and all we've said here, simple, simple, walk your block, serve your neighborhood, host a party. And we host a big party at the end of the summer. And we've specifically put it at the bottom here that our summer finale, our summer party, August 28th, is our community barbecue. Because we feel like we want to be a blessing as a whole church. So as we think about that, here's, I'll give you a little bit of insight where we're headed with this. As we lead this towards the summer, we bless people. As we bless people through our community barbecue, as we build personal relationships, one of the things God has led us to launch in the fall is Alpha, helping people discover who Jesus is and the story of Jesus. And so imagine that maybe one or two people or a few people that that we bless, that we encourage, that we get to know at a barbecue would be interested in discovering the story of Christianity. And we invite them out later on in the fall. 
But we bathe that in prayer and say, Lord, what, do you, what, would, what, would, you be, what would you want to do through this? Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be incredible? That if the community, the city, that the people, the orbits we're in, the neighborhoods we're in, get blessed. Let's stand as we close in prayer today. And as, just as we begin to pray, I want to invite you, June 22nd on a Wednesday night, we're going to hold a, a, a time of prayer at our office to just go through, like just to say, Lord, um, show us what you're doing. Lord, renew our hearts. Lord, help us to find rest this summer in a way that's, that's, that's sourced in you and not just in activity. Help us to discern those activities. But then bathe the whole summer in prayer. Bathe these hundred days in prayer and say, Lord, we want to see your, your work at hand in us and in others. Let's pray. Father, first of all, we just say thank you. We celebrate the gospel because Jesus fulfilled in such an impacting way what it means to love you and love our neighbors. He loved you in obedient surrender as he walked to the cross. He loved his neighbors on the cross, dying for our sin, ensuring us an open welcome to life with you. Thank you that Jesus has done that. And thank you that through the gospel, we're not called to love you and to love our neighbors as a path towards salvation. We thank you that that's already been taken care of at the cross. Lord, may the truth of the gospel and may the life that we find in the gospel propel us and equip us and empower us to grow in our love for you and to grow in our love for our neighbors. God, we, we commit this, you know, the hundred days of summer to you. Lord, may this image, this metaphor, this vision capture our hearts. God, show us as we listen to you in prayer, as we listen to our neighbors, as we get to know a few more people or build deeper relationships with others. And as we trust you, Lord, if maybe ways to serve or bless or share, love. God, we bring this to you. And Lord, lead us, guide us. Give us discernment. Give us wisdom. Give us a burden, a passion. And then empower us in this way. Lord, I pray for some of the people we're going to hand out these cards to because there's a longing in humanity's heart to see goodness and may people discover that the true, true source of goodness is you. So go before us in this, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.